Hi, you're listening to the Transforming Chaplaincy Podcast. I'm Michael Skaggs, Communications Director for Transforming Chaplaincy. Today I'm talking with the Reverend Dr. Sanita Mako, who is currently a Transforming Chaplaincy Research Fellow at Indiana University School of Medicine and an APC Board Certified Chaplain. Dr. Mako is an affiliate researcher with the Indiana University Center for Aging Research and a chaplain researcher with the Indiana University Health Center in Indianapolis. Sunita, thank you for joining us today. I will start by asking you the same question that I ask everybody else that's on the show, and that is to tell us a little bit about yourself. What is your background, your history, and whether chaplaincy is a a new development for you or if you've always had an interest in this as a career? Yes, uh, originally from Kenya, I've been in the United States for 16 years, and I'm an ordained clergy elder within the United Methodist Church uh, in the Indiana Conference. Um, I was ordained in Kenya, and uh, since uh, my uh, seminary time back in the 1990s, I have always had a passion for caring for the patients. In fact, during my seminary training, during that time, I attended uh, training at uh, Kenyatta Hospital in Nairobi, where I did a training of the chaplaincy, which was not like what we have here, CPE that we have here. But it was one way of exposing uh, uh, seminarians uh, into understanding how to care for the patients. And I've continued to have that passion in, in my calling to, to, to ministry. Um, that being said, um, when I moved to the United States to go through uh, graduate school, I, I did not get into chaplaincy directly because uh, through theological training, uh, you have either to go through theological graduate training or you go to CPE or become a supervisor. But that time uh, from 2001 to 2008, I did my master's and my PhD uh, focused in theology, and then after uh, my PhD is when really I entered into doing uh, uh, CPE training. Uh, CPE, which stands for Clinical Pastoral Education Training, I did uh, the first unit. I loved it. We at uh, Lutheran uh, Hospital of Indiana, and uh, then I applied for residency program, which I did uh, four units, and uh, I have my five, five units of uh, uh, CPE training. Um, that's really where I transitioned uh, my strong passion for, for chaplaincy. Having done so much training in theology, was it difficult yeah. to sort of translate that training into chaplaincy, or was it very natural for you? How did you make that transition from theology and kind of a traditional pastoral education into a chaplaincy setting? You know, that, that's a very good question, Mike, that you are asking, because uh, one thing I found when I went into chaplaincy training is that you have uh, chaplaincy supervisors who have different theological orientations, and sometimes uh, students also come from uh, different theological orientations. And so uh, chaplaincy, uh, I found that it was not more about digging into a doctrinal standard of uh, theological basis but really helping people to do uh, the, 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 the reflective uh, nature of uh, the experiences of the relationship they build with, uh, with patients, with the staff, 
uh, or with cells. Uh, the clinical method really that is used uh, within the, the chaplaincy training does not specifically uh, prescribe uh, a theological basis on how to do uh, chaplaincy. So my theological orientation whereby I went to an ecumenical seminary back in Kenya and then when I came here I went to uh, a Disciples of Christ uh, a seminary and then I went to a Lutheran Missouri seminary uh, which was totally different from other theological schools. So all these schools they expose us to different theologies, the different scholars and then uh, when it comes to chaplaincy because you serve all kinds of people uh, some who don't have any theological or religious spiritual affiliation it made me sit down and reflect more about who am I and how do I bring my presence to provide care to those that uh, I'm supposed to provide care to. So theology did not uh, really, uh, it informs me sometimes. There are things that I face within the, the hospital when I meet with the patients. Uh, patients are asking questions about the omnipotence of God in difficult situations. Sometimes they are asking about uh, God is omniscient in uh, situations that uh, they deal with. At that time uh, is when I start thinking about what kind of theology is going to inform how I respond to this and will this be appropriate. Um, so there are ways we engage theology but uh, not necessarily by imposing our theological stand on those that uh, receive care from us. In terms of using that sort of theological training in your interactions with patients and having your own grounding, I'm wondering about who those patients uh, actually are, because presumably, whether it is by a formal assignment or just kind of the flow of the hospital, you are probably working with, with one or two types of patients more than yeah. others. Uh, so did something draw you to the specific uh, unit that you work in now where you just assigned there? Why do you yeah. work with the patients that you work with on a daily basis? Uh, in fact, uh, when I did my first unit of uh, clinical pastoral education CPE, I was assigned in the emergency department and oncology department. I loved those two units uh, because they were kind of intense uh, because of uh, the, the kind of patients who who are in those units, but it also made me have uh, a deeper desire to provide uh, care uh, to that uh, patient population. In fact, even to, to this day, my strong passion has been uh, in uh, uh, cancer patients. Uh, so oncology units is where I've uh, done a lot of uh, patient care, and uh, I will be talking more about uh, how that has uh, uh, led to my interest in research uh, within that uh, patient population. I don't do more work. I don't do more work within the emergency department, uh, but I, I always enjoy it any time that I go to ED or trauma situations uh, to care for patients. I think it's so fascinating that you have you have painted this picture of having started uh, seminary education in Kenya. You came here, you began uh, theological education in one place, you went to another. Uh, so you have traveled in many ways, intellectually, theologically, geographically. Explain to me a little bit how chaplaincy is different 
where you are right now as opposed to where you have come from, wherever that is, whether it's other places yeah. in the United States or back in Kenya. How does chaplaincy look different where you are? You know, that, that's, uh, the chaplaincy itself is, is, has been there for a long time, only that there are a number of things that have still we are working on within the chaplains as a discipline, as a field, um, uh, bringing issues of spirituality and religion um, in Kenya or in other African countries is not as complicated. Bringing that into the healthcare system, it is it flows. In fact, you find most doctors, they pray with patients, nurses, they pray with patients, uh, they lay hands on them before they provide their treatment. Um, um, and unfortunately, what I, I found is that uh, in the United States, uh, they, they have sent, set a lot of uh, regressions that help separate uh, between uh, what you do as a profession if you are a physician, um, uh, no matter whether you have spiritual orientation that you would like to, to, to share with patients or other colleagues, uh, it might be seen as if uh, you are violating your profession or career. Uh, that was a, a big um, learning for me when I when I when I went to the hospitals here and found that doctors, even even though they are spiritual or religious, uh, they have to close that door completely. Um, uh, they are not supposed to close it, but they have to close it, even when they wish that I, they would want to pray with the patient or maybe talk about spiritual things. I'm thankful that uh, now with um, the, the Parative uh, National Consensus and the International Consensus Parative uh, Council, they are trying to really bring that back to to open doors for the doctors to know how to ask the right questions um, related to spiritual and religion. So traveling uh, through different uh, places and different schools of learning, what I've discovered is there's one thing that uh, remains all through my transition, and that is me, that's Anita as a person. Um, all these other things uh, sometimes change, but as a person, CPE, I think maybe that's why CPE focuses more on, on a person than these other factors. You know that they are not important, uh, theological orientation is important, uh, uh, and uh, other other aspects, but as a, a person, if, if, as a person who is going to interact with other people, do you understand who you are? And I think that's where the power of chaplaincy comes in. Chaplaincy helps people to dig deep, to do introspection, assessing who they are, assessing uh, it's like an organization when you do a SWOT analysis whereby you look at the strengths uh, weaknesses, you look at opportunities, you look at the threats um, and and all those weaknesses. So I, I've come to realize that chaplaincy, what it does, it helps a person to dig deep and assess areas that this person might want to grow, areas of loss in a person's life, areas, areas uh, that the person might not even know until someone else asks them a question to consider looking at those deeper, deeper areas of a person's life so that as we enter into relationship with others, we realize when we are bringing bias, we realize when we are imposing our, our, our own agenda, we also 
we are able to to realize when to open our mouth and when to be quiet and how to to even design a question that we are asking those that we interact with. So really, it's a different uh, uh, way of uh, of working with with the people that we work with, which has helped me to work with the advanced cancer patients. Uh, the patients that I work with are really those patients who have most of them have less than one one year estimated survival. So I spend more time talking with them and what we talk about is uh, what, what does that experience mean to them and what might be helpful uh, from those around the patients uh, that will give them better quality of, of life or better health outcome as they face uh, death. These observations are fascinating, not only because they touch on very different models of chaplaincy between the United States and other parts of the world, but because everything you have just said is so deeply personal to the mm -hmm. individual chaplain in question, the individual patients in the interaction. Mm -hmm. But of course, the entire reason that you are a Transforming Chaplaincy Fellow is that you yeah. are a researcher, which is a completely different side of things. Uh, research meaning wow. you are almost entirely separate uh, from the interactions, at least in your analysis. Yeah. So how did you get started in research, moving, uh, moving into a field that is so much different from day-to-day -day interaction with patients and doing that kind of analysis? You, you, you know, I, I, I kept asking questions every time I was, I was, was going through training as a chaplain. I, I, and of course, my background uh, training on, I also did training on organizational leadership and supervision in my graduate degree from Purdue University. And all the time during that program, they were saying, research always informs your practice. If you have not done research, you can practice everything that you want to practice, but it is not evidence-based. So because of that kind of orientation, I kept asking myself during chaplaincy training and caring for the patients, I, I asked myself often what the care that I provide, is it research-based? Is it informed by uh, some evidence that has been proven to, to work? Or what I am doing is just uh, throwing things to patients that might cause even more distress on patients and families and even uh, team members. So because of that inquisitive um, concern, I had about the work that we do as chaplains, is it evidence-based or is it just doing it because someone needs uh, a chaplain? And that's where I started looking at where can I learn more how to do chaplain's research. And chaplain's research is, is different from other pure science research. Of, of course, it, 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 it's more of uh, something that uh, is labeled many times in a, in a negative way that is chaplain's care is more subjective. But I think uh, what I have learned is that we have the scientific instruments, the scientific methodologies that could be utilized in uh, doing investigation about uh, uh, the kind of care that we provide on our patient's scope and the kind of instrument that are needed. Uh, it's just a valid and reliable instrument that need to be used in screening for spiritual and religious distress 
those are things that you have to go through research to understand. And this that's what inspired me. I need to learn more and get to know these skills. And if I can be able to participate in research so that we can inform our practice, our discipline of chaplaincy, uh, it will be a plus. So transforming chaplaincy came at a, at a, a time when I was uh, still looking at where else could we be trained to look at our discipline as research-informed practice and not just uh, value-informed uh, practice. That is a, a, a very rich understanding of why research is necessary for, for good practice mm-hmm. to be possible. But explain mm-hmm. exactly how you, you allow that research to inform your own practice. As I have asked everybody else, you can't, yeah. be, you can't be sort of taking advantage of the latest research with, with every interaction you have with patients. You can't change your methodology on a day-to-day or week-to-week basis. So how do you strike Absolutely. the balance between, between current research and how you're interacting with patients on a daily basis? You know, there's a lot of gaps that we have. It says in our chaplaincy discipline, we we still, it's a new field. Chaplaincy research is is not uh, an old uh, field. It's a new field uh, that uh, is growing very well. I'm thankful for the leaders in this area through the transforming chaplaincy and other people who have participated in promoting these, um, which I look forward to see how uh, transforming chaplaincy works with um, uh, the Association of Clinical Pastoral Education uh, team uh, to really develop uh, uh, standardized the curriculum, the curriculum that uh, uh, will uh, prepare the, the the chaplains as they go through CPE training, so that by the time they get into board certification, uh, they have uh, this kind of basic literacy. For for me, when I went through this training, that was not an option. It was not emphasized only that we were to write more verbatim um, to, to inform that. But the, uh, coming back to your question about um, the kind of research that is available, I use that a lot. Anytime I go to see patients, or even as I discern what kind of research agenda I want to drive, I make sure that I do uh, a literature review and assess what has been published, and I'm thankful because transforming chaplains, what is done is pulling most of the, the high-level research that has been done, and they have them in the website. Um, I'm thankful for other institutions that have done the same, trying to pull uh, research literature related to spiritual and religion um, within the healthcare, um, the, the health uh, research. Uh, that helps us to know not to duplicate uh, necessarily what has been done, but to understand which other areas have not been investigated, or if they have been investigated, what other question has not been asked through this process. So as I continue developing my research portfolio, I've always sought to look for other colleagues who have been in the field for long, uh, who know this field, I, asking for for that and the mentors, mentorship, I'm so thankful for for the institution that I work for. We have a very strong mentoring process that for researchers through the Indiana University School of Medicine, uh, Center for Aging Research, and Regenerative Institute. They have a very nice component of mentoring 
or mentorship for those uh, young investigators who want to grow in this uh, field. And I'm taking advantage of that mentorship. Of course, transforming chaplains is also giving mentorship through their leaders, uh, who are wonderful mentors. I'm thankful for that. But as I do research, Mike, as I do this research, I have to remember that I'm still a chaplain. I'm a board certified chaplain. The fact that I'm doing research does not make me uh, uh, not think of I'm, uh, I'm providing care, but I'm providing care from a different uh, perspective. And I hope that chaplaincy or chaplains will look at uh, the research researchers as part of them. Uh, they are they are they are either ordained or they are um, board certified. So they are chaplains, like medical doctors who are doctors who practice, and when they move to do research, they don't quit from being doctors. They are doctors, medical doctors, who do research, and the, and the research has to inform the practice. So, so I don't see whether there is any discrepancy here or any difference. It's, it's a continuum process of care, but one has to be done to inform the other. That question surely is rattling around the minds of people who may be listening to this who are chaplains currently and are interested in research but aren't quite uh, sure how to get started. And as you've, as you've just said, one does not need to exclude the other. And in fact, they should inform each other. But for someone who is, who is doing purely uh, chaplaincy practice right now but they would like to get started in research, how should they go about doing that? You have your own personal path that you followed into research, but how would someone get yeah. started if they are practicing right now in chaplaincy? How would they start research? You know, I, I, I George Vichette always says, get a literature, read the things that are out there. There's a lot of resources. I mean, when I went to my, my training back in my country, we do not have access of most of the literature that I see accessible here. With technology, this, you have everything in your hand if you have uh, access to the internet. So there are basic, the basic uh, information, there's basic information out there that anyone who, is, uh, who might have an interest in research, chaplain's research that they can find. They can come to Transforming Chaplaincy website and see that. Um, SCPE now is putting some in information in their website. We have many centers and institutions uh, through uh, other universities like Duke, like Harvard, like uh, George Washington, and many other other institutions that have resources. So, so for me, what I, I, my philosophy is that uh, for any chaplains to have this, uh, this desire or interest, it boils down to the leadership of the institution or the center where they work. If the leader is not uh, passionate about uh, research, is not interested in seeing how research informs their practice or in the instruments that they use, as a chaplain, you don't have a lot of power to change that. So really, it boils down to uh, uh, chaplaincy leadership. Uh, through the National Association of Professional Chaplains, uh, are they offering some of the, the best leadership training whereby they promote research as a component or part of uh, their leadership or their management, even managers within the, the chaplaincy field? Uh, are they exposed to see the value that chaplaincy brings? 
And I'm sure probably there are some who have, who have seen the value. There are some who might look at it and say, uh, this is not important. I've had uh, through conversations around the world where people say, why are we doing even research? God is enough. God does need uh, research, does not need research. Or the, the Holy Spirit will help us know what to do. Uh, again, you know, you can say anything out there, but that's not how the world functions in many ways. Uh, so if someone has uh, want to have to get started, I would say centers whereby they train chaplains, chaplains should be the first ones to really embrace uh, uh, basic literacy training on chaplains. Uh, for those who are already chaplains who are in practice, uh, the departments should create a forum like a seminar whereby they meet once a month or once every quarter. They invite a researcher, either the doctor from the hospital who has done research. Not every doctor is, knows how to do research, but the medical doctors who have done research, who are involved, they can come and be guest speakers on how to do basic research and why research is important. So again, it boils down to the managers and leaders within the departments exposing their chaplains to the basics and the value, the significance of research. If you work in a, in, in in an institution that has a university system, uh, that's a plus. That's even much better uh, is to, to really engage chaplains with the, the learning centers or research projects that are going on. So that these chaplains can be be like uh, pa uh, participants in any research that is being done within the the, the, the university system that touches spiritual and religion and health uh, health outcomes. So if chaplains are able to know what kind of projects that are going on in those universities, most likely they might find a way of becoming co-investigators uh, in those uh, projects so that they learn, so that they can observe, so that they can see, or they might even be used in correcting data for uh, the principal investigators within the, the, the school, the university there. If you are in a rural place, which I think many clinics, many rural places might not have, might have only one chaplain who is a director, or not even a director, but who is a coordinator of spirituality, uh, that one, uh, the, ch the chaplain, him or herself, has to develop that passion and find out is there anything that is being done within their hospital that is related to research. Maybe some other institutions from outside, they correct the data in those clinics, but if you know as they correct the data, whether you can become a partner with them, you learn a lot. Within our place here, uh, we were fortunate enough to receive uh, funding from the, the the fellowship, the Transforming Chaplaincy Fellowship within our chaplaincy training. And I have been involved by the supervisor here to help facilitate uh, research literacy for our students. Um, we meet uh, every other week and we discuss uh, projects and we read articles and we invite other guest speakers to come and talk. Students are able to present what they are doing. Uh, we give them lit, uh, articles to read and then we read and discuss how the study was done, the strengths of the paper, how they corrected data, how the data was analyzed and how the data has been reported, the areas that were not covered well. So because of uh, CPE training, 
And now they are integrating me as a, a transforming chaplaincy fellow to be part of that. That's another way that we are exposing those who are preparing to become chaplains to have the literacy in chaplaincy. You clearly have an excellent understanding of the state of the field right now, but okay. I will ask you to speculate a little bit on the future. What are the challenges and opportunities of chaplaincy, both as a, a practicing profession now and as a research field, looking ahead to the next five or 10 years? That's a fantastic question, Michael. And, and I've, I've always asked about that a lot, about um, how do we sustain the momentum that has been started through transforming chaplaincy? And how do we make sure that the kind of research we do is uh, well designed and it's research that can really go to the market and uh, not be looked upon like a mediocre research. How do we make sure that we produce good research uh, that will open doors from other interdisciplinary team members to say, you know what, we want to use your research to inform how we practice. Especially palliative, palliative care uh, is, is a field that uh, is growing and spirituality, religion, uh, social dimensions, existential issues that are, get addressed there, they need chaplain researchers to be integrated fully in, um, in, in, that, in that field. So for the future, what I'm, I'm, I'm hoping, the opportunities that we have, is that, uh, thank goodness, we have gone through this uh, Transforming Chaplaincy Fellowship. We are learning the scientific methodologies. We are taking classes with... Uh, uh, medical doctors and nurses and uh, social workers and we are engaged in the discussions and the presentations whereby they get to understand how we we get involved. Uh, it's, it is not easy. Doesn't, I don't want to sound like this is easy. That's, it is not an easy program going through a, a MPH or going through MS in clinical research or biostatistics. Uh, but there's a reason why chaplains are being exposed into these they are exposed into this so that uh, we can understand that worldview, so we can uh, understand how questions are designed, how research projects are done. So I I look forward to see that this opportunity, the opportunity we have for the fellows is that we have to be uh, well uh, integrated within centers that do research. I just hope that every research fellow who will be done from this program will be able to, to get jobs whereby they will run their own uh, projects as principal investigators or co-investigators and, uh, and drive uh, their area of interest in research. Some of them, I'm sure, they are going to go back to school and do PhD in this area, which, is, which would be fantastic for the field. But I also know that while we are preparing uh, chaplain researchers, they cannot drive most of the decisions that I made uh, at the top. Um, uh, organizational leadership is uh, needed. There's need for clear structure uh, on how we communicate the value of research and the research impact on different health outcomes. Uh, this has to be communicated not only uh, within the institutions themselves, but working with the JCO, the Joint Commission, um, which I think uh, is going on the conversations so that as they make their accreditation requirements for different centers, they, they don't forget the impact of uh, chaplain's research. 
I, I also hope that in the next five, 10 years, we will be able to find most centers having at least um, one research, uh, chaplain researcher who is there. And uh, to get into that, my hope is that uh, theological schools or religious or spiritual training schools uh, should uh, really have uh, areas of discipline whereby they say a student can measure uh, in, if this is a master of divinity or master of theology or master of arts, they can measure in one area related to religion and spirituality research. So if theological schools are going to, to help in that, then we'll have many people who not only get ordained as researchers, but they will also be people who might be interested in working within the healthcare system where research is done in this area. Uh, they don't uh, probably have to be board certified if someone doesn't want to go to, through that route, but they will have research uh, skills in spiritual and religion, and maybe they will have endorsement from their spiritual leaders uh, to, to participate uh, in this kind of, uh, of research. So the other thing that I, I hope is that uh, the funders, uh, you know, this is a, a field that uh, does not attract a lot of uh, research funding, but the more impact we create, the better opportunities for resources to flow. There are many uh, places, I mean, that the John Templeton Foundation has done an amazing job trying to promote the integration of religion and spirituality within the, the within medicine. But I know there are many others also who are coming up. But these foundations are only going to invest in researchers uh, that will have uh, an impact. They are not going to invest their resources in mediocre research. They are not going to invest their resources in uh, researchers who are not well trained and equipped. Uh, so as we move forward, we hope that foundations will start looking at uh, uh, the fellows who have gone through these programs, what kind of research are they doing and how can we invest in them so that they can continue doing major research. You know, Mike, it is, it is, it is, it is very sad when you are conducting research and you don't know whether that research will continue for the next five years. What I see, NIH, for example, gives money, gives money for five years or 10 years. Then as a researcher, you know you are going to design projects that are long term. But if you have funding that will be only for three months or one year, every year you are worried about, oh, next year do I have a, a job? Is it going to work? Is it going to be possible? So I'm, I'm hoping that these challenges will be addressed in a more sustainable long term way. And if there's a way that is out there for funders to say, we are putting more money in these centers, if these 10 centers around the country, where research is done like that, they put more money there than we have for continued research. Also, I think um, the curriculum for, for, for chaplains training uh, should have uh, a number of components uh, related to research. Not every chaplain is going to have an interest, but I hope they can say, uh, is there a student group among our CPE students who is interested in research so that those students, they can just do most of their clinicals with the researchers in their centers. So if they have a second year resident or a first year resident who is interested in research, instead of putting them in the clinics, most of the time they can put them 50% in the clinic and then 50% with a researcher who is mentoring them, who is helping them to develop. That's how we can develop long-term interest in this field. 
I'm sure there there's a lot out there, Michael, but uh, those are the, some of the few things that I'm thinking that uh, will help uh, sustain the future. Uh, after this uh, fellowship, I, I don't know whether there are some institutions that will start creating uh, fellowships, like Cincinnati Children's Hospital. I think they have uh, developed their own internal uh, fellowship for researchers, and I hope that many other centers around the country will uh, follow the suit of that kind and say we are, we are having two research uh, fellows who specialize in cancer, who are specialized in geriatrics or specialized in uh, trauma. That way we can continue reproducing um, research chaplains um, throughout a long-term sustainable way. Those are some of the things that I'm thinking about. Everyone that we speak with on the show gives a little bit different answer to that question, which I think tells mm -hmm. us two things. One, a chaplain in one place is not the same as a chaplain in another, and the same thing goes for researchers. And two, mm -hmm. we can hope that as the field develops, we can maintain some of that diversity, some of that richness, while also moving towards a little bit more unified profession, one that shares even more common standards than it shares yeah. now. Um, and it's, it's very reassuring to know that the, the current generation of leaders and training are thinking about these sorts of questions. Yes, absolutely. I think uh, that's uh, the the area that uh, we are challenged as chaplains. You know, even chaplains, their own integration within their healthcare system. Sometimes they have functioned in silos, and which is a danger for our field. And uh, I think uh, now we are saying no. We have to be interdisciplinary. We have to be part of the team. We have to be engaged. We have to ask questions related to spiritual our religious or existential questions for patients. Uh, and we have to also bring in research-informed evidence-based and tell the team of what is out in the field and how that might help the team as they design different strategies. Even accreditation, every specialty, as they go through accreditation, I think it's very important for, for us as chaplains and researchers to tell the, those specialty teams uh, the value of talking about uh, treating the patients holistically, uh, looking at their spiritual, their, their mind, their body, and their spirit in, in a holistic manner. So I agree with you. And as we develop uh, researchers, I think we are going to, uh, to find a way of um, doing more conferences and, and uh, speaking to the areas of our interest and our, our areas of uh, success. I think that's going to take us uh, to the next level. Uh, although I, I also know that um, uh, what has happened so far is something we need to appreciate and be thankful for. Those who have led this to where it is, uh, it is just amazing to see that uh, the, the team that came up with the transforming chaplains in mindset were able to think through this to get to where it is. Um, my hope is that uh, as as this fellowship comes to an end, a new now a new question will be how do we design a more long term sustainable funding source that will help in doing research. Um, the same team that did the transforming chaplaincy might not be the one that will be thinking about that question, but I think we need a new fresh look at. Okay, now these people have done their training. Now they are in, aligned somewhere. 
how do we find the funding from a central pool whereby these fellows are invited to, to apply and get funding so that they can continue driving research in this area. That one is going to be an area of thinking as we move forward. These are all crucial questions about the future of the field. And so you've given, uh, you've given us a great deal to think about, Sunita. Thank you very much for your time this morning. This has been a fascinating conversation. And uh, we certainly look forward to your, uh, to your completion of the fellowship and your work thereafter. Thank you so much, Mike. That was the Reverend Dr. Sunita Mako, the Transforming Chaplaincy Fellow and Researcher with the IU Center for Aging Research and the Indiana University Health Center in Indianapolis. We invite all of our listeners to check out the Spiritual Care Podcast with Humankind host David Freudberg. You'll hear stories of caregivers providing spiritual support for people in need and often in distress. These caregivers offer a sympathetic, non-judgmental ear to people encountering times of challenge, unease, and sometimes loss of meaning. The podcast explores the skills they bring to the profound act of listening. Find the Spiritual Care Podcast on iTunes or another podcatcher and learn more at thespiritualcarepodcast.org. Transforming Chaplaincy is supported by the John Templeton Foundation and promotes research literacy for improved patient outcomes. For more information, visit us online at transformchaplaincy.org, find us on Twitter at transformchap1, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash transformingchaplaincy.org.